Hello everybody, welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown. Today is Sunday, the 3rd of July, 2011. Hope everybody had a good 4th of July and got to spend it with family and friends. On today's show, we've got an interview that I did with Charles Heller. And Charles was one of the co-founders of Arizona Citizens Defense League. And he has uh, accepted a new position at Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership, so JPFO. And I have links to both of those on the Firearms Cafe website. So if you go to firearmscafe.com, you'll see links over on the right-hand side. You can click on those, and that'll take you to their websites. Now, speaking of websites and clicking on stuff, let's get our contact info out of the way. If you want to contact the show, there's a couple of different ways to do so. You can either call our voicemail, which is 206-339-3266. Again, that number, 206-339-3266. Or if you'd like to send in an email to the show, and I can read that out for you, or if you wanted to record your own audio and uh, attach that to the email as a WAV file or an MP3, please feel free to do that. And that is the email address is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I don't have any feedback for this week, and I would love to hear from you guys. I love getting the feedback, uh, and I know uh, the other listeners and stuff like having it too. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and we'll jump in with the interview today. And I think that's about all we're going to do. Uh, After the interview, I'll come back on and we'll talk a little bit, and uh, then we'll probably call it quits for the day. All right, so without further... Oh, you know, one thing I do need to kind of preface the interview with is I use Skype, and uh, sometimes Skype comes off clear as a bell uh, with no technical problems or anything like that. And in this case, that's what happened. Skype actually, I think, worked pretty well. We didn't have any feedback or any loops or anything like that. Unfortunately... The software that I used to record the call had a little bit of a delay. So there will be parts of it where, especially at the very first and at the very end of the interview, where it sounds like we're kind of stepping on each other, um, mostly what happened, the delay, it actually kind of worked in, in my favor because he would, I would ask a question and then it would take a second or two uh, for him to, for his answer to pick up. So it it made it easy going through editing and stuff like that. Also, the sound was pretty low, so I had to boost it, and I had to use my old mic. So you may notice a difference in the audio quality. Uh, I listened back to it, and it's really it's not that noticeable, but there may be just little bits here and there, so I wanted to let you guys be, uh, let you know that and have you be aware of it. All right, without further ado, let's go ahead and drop in that interview. On the show today, I want you guys to welcome Charles Heller. Uh, Mr. Heller is one of the founders of Arizona Citizens Defense League, and recently he was named to be the Executive Director of Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. And uh, did I get the title right, Charles? Absolutely. If you could, uh, would you give a brief history of sort of your involvement with, uh, lack of a better word, Second Amendment activism? Well... When I was six years old, my father took out his 45 from a blue bag that he kept it in, and he showed me how it went together, and he handed it to me, uh, obviously without ammunition. And I started to point it around. He said, ah, you don't point at anything you don't want to shoot. 
I said, okay. And I learned my basic lesson of gun safety then and there, and I never forgot it. And he says, here's how it, goes, here's how it comes apart, and here's how it goes together. When you can do it by yourself, you can shoot it. And he picked up the box of World War I surplus ammunition and walked out of the room and <laughs> left me with it. <laughs> About five years later, I finally figured out how to get the gun together, and I got to shoot it for my 11th birthday. And it made a tune. It made music so sweet that 1911, it wasn't an A1. It was a 1911 issued in 1911 that uh, I never lost the tune. And uh, since then, I've been, uh, I grew up in the gun culture. I shot in the scout in scouts. I was in an explorer post of shot, and I was, I, so I shot in the city at a, a National Guard armory as I was growing up. I learned more gun safety there, and then I got a chance to move to Arizona when I was 21. I would have, insanely, I would have registered a gun in Chicago, but they stopped accepting registrations in 1978. Um, so I couldn't be a legal gun owner when I turned 21 in Chicago. So I, uh, I voted with my feet, and I moved to Arizona, where free men walk around with guns on their hips if they feel like it. Um, since then, I became an NRA instructor, and then I became a state-certified CCW instructor. And along the way, I had several experiences that caused me to pay more attention to the right to keep and bear arms. Too long, to, too long a story to go into. But um, eventually, I, I worked with uh, three other guys, with uh, Dave Kopp and with John Wentling and with uh, Fred Dank, and we formed, in 2005, we formed the Arizona Citizens Defense League up at the Five and Diner on uh, Ray Road in Chandler, we formed the, the beginnings of the group, had the discussions up there. And we went there because the uh, the people, the management of the place was nice to us because we opened carried in their restaurant. And uh, kind of on a little bit of a side note with uh, Arizona Citizens Defense League, about how many members do you think we have right now? Wow. About 5,000. You know, one of the things that I've, I've always been impressed with, with uh, ACDL is that it seems like the people that are members that when you guys send out an email or ask for volunteers, uh, especially with uh, legislation, that it seems like the, the vast majority of the membership really picks up the ball and really tries to get involved. Well, let me give you some inside baseball on that. Not only do they do it, but you don't have to be a member to be on our alerts list. So as a result, we got, although we have about 5,000 members, we've got about 10,000 people on our alerts list. And when we send out an alert, not just our members perk up, other people do too, and uh, start writing. On three occasions, we've shut down the server. Wow, very good. And uh, uh, it's also interesting that in the wake of the uh, January 8th shooting, that the uh, media contacted us, not uh, not other groups. And so as a result, I kind of got to be the face of the, you know, we, not me, but I, because I'm the yeah. spokesman to that extent, I got to be the the the, uh, the voice of the uh, of the right to keep and bear arms for Arizona in large part uh, with the media and it was a it was an honor and honor and a privilege to do that and also it was kind of interesting to do 34 media actually 37 media interviews in a week and a half so uh, it, it's just interesting the way we've kind of come up in the world so with your speaking of uh, Arizona Citizens Defense League with your new position with JPFO um, what involvement will you have, uh, if any, with uh, ACDL, or will you still stay involved? Oh, yeah. I'm still on the board of directors. We switched things around a little bit with the, some of the responsibilities of the board members so that it would not – so that my involvement with JPFO wouldn't interfere with, JP, with AZCDL, and um, I could continue to be – to serve okay. both. Um, and some people may or may not know, but originally uh, JPFO was founded by a gentleman by the name of Aaron Zellman. And uh, he unfortunately recently passed away. 
And I guess at that time, uh, they started looking maybe for someone to be a uh, executive director there. So how did it, it come to pass that you were actually chosen uh, to take that position? Well, I was on the road to Damascus by a lightning bolt. No, I'm I'm only kidding. <laughs> the uh, um, they reached out to a number of people. One of them being Alan Corwin. Alan Corwin suggested me based on my experience with AZCDL and also the fact that I'm a radio talk show host with the uh, the only program that emanates out of Southern Arizona that's based on the right to keep and bear arms and about things with a muzzle, a nozzle, or a blade. Okay. Um, now that you're going to be working with JPFO, uh, what general changes, if any, would you like to see implemented? And um, of those changes, if you are going to do anything, what would you see as kind of maybe your uh, number one goal as the new director? Well, number one goal is going to be to double the membership of JPFO. The membership in JPFO is approximately the same as mm. ACCDL. And it's a national organization, and it needs to grow. It needs to grow in a, in a planned and programmatic way. It needs to double in size over the next 18 months, and then it needs to quintuple in size over the next five years. And that's some of the things that we're going to do. We're going to do a lot more outreach to members. We're going to do – we'll probably end up forming local chapters, which is something we don't do with CDL. We're going to uh, engage in a number of aggressive um, – public uh, um, publishing projects. JPO has, FO has always been known for its phenomenal production of great books like The Mitzvah by Aaron Zellman and uh, L. Neal Smith, and also um, books like Lethal Laws, which show the word-for-word -word translation of our 1968 Gun Control Act for the 1938 Nazi mm. Weapons Act. Things and the deep research into things like that, and also deep research into uh, government responsibility for protecting the individual citizen, such as the book Dial 911 and Die by Richard Stevens, which was a collaboration of Richard of Phoenix Attorney Richard Stevens with Aaron Zellman. So we've been famous for that. We've also got some phenomenal DVDs. One of them being No Guns for Negroes, which is a uh, documents the racist history of gun control in the United States, and also another one called No Guns for Jews. One of the things we're doing is we have a goal to put that into the hands of every rabbi in the United States and uh, try and get their congregations to watch. Okay, it. very good. I also know that you um, that JPFO has a uh, a very good uh, DVD on the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and I believe that one is called uh, Innocence Betrayed, or is that the one The Gang? Yes, Innocence Betrayed, and that's also, we also have another one yeah. about them called The Gang. And that uh, is, is uh, kind of particularly prescient given what's going on with them now with the uh, either the Gunwalker or Fast and Furious or whatever they're, they're naming it at the moment. Well, not only that, but it's going to preempt what they're going to attempt to do, which is they were going to use Gunwalker to pass oh, statistics. Yeah. Of firearms brought across the uh, the line from the United States to Mexico and say, you see, we told you so. Unfortunately, the only way they can get to you, I told you so, is if they have their thumb on the scale. And that's something that, uh, as I grew up as the, uh, the son of a fraud investigator in the city of Chicago, he caught a lot of people with their thumb or magnetic weights on the scale cheating. That's something I'm particularly attuned to and, 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 and personally enraged by. Not that I expect any less of my any more of my government. I, I expect that, you know, since the time of John Adams, there have been dishonest people, not that Adams was, but since his time, there have been dishonest people in government. And I don't think we expect any, any different from them, but it's, it's, but it's, it's just sort of par for the course. Yeah, that's 
this, this is why, if I may, this is why we, 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 we believe in the principles of limited government and the Bill of Rights. It's so that you can keep your government under control. This one, unfortunately, is not. Yeah, that's correct. You know, and it's, it's one of my uh, favorite quotes of, of one of the guys, you know, from back in history was uh, one that Daniel Webster had said. And it's kind of a paraphrase, but basically he said that um, the Constitution was made or, or came about to guard we the people against the good intentions of others, meaning that there, uh, and I think the quote was something like, there are men of all ages who mean to govern well, but they right. mean to govern and they mean to, uh, what is it, promise to be good masters, but they, they still mean and intend to be a master. They meant to be yeah, masters. And, uh, right, exactly. You know, I, yeah. Well, my radio, program, my radio program, Liberty Watch, is dedicated to the notion that government forever remains servant, not master. There's no final victory in that. There's only an ongoing struggle between good and evil. Good being the forces of freedom and evil being the forces of control. And we kind of have, have touched on it a little bit, but I don't know much uh, about the history of JPFO. So if we were going to compare uh, them maybe from a perspective of uh, political influence, how would they compare to organizations like um, ACDL, who I feel has a lot of influence here in Arizona, or uh, other organizations like Second Amendment Foundation, NRA, those type of things? Well, remember that they are 501c4s and we're a 501c3. And with a c4, you can get more bang. Okay. <laughs> so, in, insofar as that a c3 is an educational organization, by our charter, we can't lobby. We can provide information, we can provide uh, background, we can provide uh, literature and, and DVDs and such. But we're. Um, but we cannot lobby, so we're not in the same position. We're thinking, one of the things down the road we're thinking of doing is forming a C4, but that takes a lot of money and a lot of energy, as we've learned from, as I've learned from the Arizona Citizens Defense League. I'm in a magnificent position, not to toot my own horn, but I'm in a magnificent position to help, uh, to help JPFO with some of the lessons that we've learned from five years of, of AZCDL. Yeah, I, I mean, when you look at just uh, realistically, uh, especially when you compare it to uh, the uh, ACDL, when you compare them to something like the NRA uh, as an organization, it's just in its infancy, only being around five years, but to, in my opinion, to have accomplished so much here in Arizona uh, is just is just fantastic. And that kind of leads me into a little bit uh, of some stuff. We'll kind of get into some local things here about Arizona. And uh, most people, of course, would consider Arizona to be a very gun-friendly state. Um, and kind of along those lines, I noticed I was checking the uh, uh, the Brady the website the other day. And, of course, Arizona now scores a zero, which is fantastic. Yes. Uh, yeah, and score. I noticed, yes. uh, I think it was just within... Maybe a year or two ago, we were at a, a two or a four, something like that. And I'd always kind of been disappointed that we that we did not score a zero from them. Yes, I've been lobbying them consistently now to lower our rating. <laughs> no, I, I I actually put that before a vote, a general vote of the membership present at last year's meeting. I, I said in front of the uh, the membership, by show of hands, who would like to see us, who would like to see me lobby the Brady Center for a zero, and it was almost unanimous in the room. No, it, it, that is a conscious act. In our yeah, mind. and it, it's it's funny, you know, when you look at their their website. I always kind of go over there and check, you know, a little bit just to kind of see where they're coming from or what they're thinking. But even on their own map, the the majority of the country uh, scores under ten, and there's a few states that oh, that hallelujah. score 
maybe, you know, 12 or 13, and there's only maybe three or four that even get above the 50, what they would consider, you know, their 50 points. So uh, I think that that says a lot to uh, just what in general the people of this country want, uh, which is, is pretty much the opposite of what the Brady campaign wants. Well, not only that, but they are they are by nature alarmists. Let me explain my remark. I don't want to just cast aspersions. I want to, I want to cast accuracies, mm-hmm. right? And that is, you look at the country. It's a country of 310 approximately million people. We have about a quarter of a million, around 232,000 crimes a year distributed throughout the United States committed using a firearm. All right. So of of 310 million people, we have 232,000 crimes committed, which are, you know, obviously concentrated among a small number of people in a small section of the country. We don't have a gun crime problem in the United States. Of the murders committed with guns in the United States, there's about 32,000 a year, about a, a slightly more than half of which are suicide, but they're still classified as homicide. Now, that's alarming that 17,000 people are killed a year. But again, a, a half of that is suicides. Many of the others are done in economically deprived areas and have a lot to do with either gang activity or the drug war. So if you take away, if you take that out, that, that's the majority of the misuse of crime in the, of guns in the United States. We don't have a gun problem either. Yeah, very true, very true. Now kind of getting a little bit back to... Uh, Arizona stuff again. What do you feel are some of the more important issues that we're going to face uh, in the future here in Arizona? I can tell you what number one is, is secure buildings. We have got to stop disarmament of honest people in favor of the criminal in Arizona. That's just a number one priority. That What's happening here in Arizona, so you go into a government building, and the government building has a sign that says, no guns. Fine, it's legal. It's not moral, mm-hmm. but it's legal, and may not even be lawful, but it's still legal. And uh, they have to simply have a a vessel, a secure vessel, in which you can store your your firearm or your other weapon. Now they do this; they comply beautifully at courthouses. A courthouse is a textbook example of how this works. If you want, if if the state deems it's in the public interest to, to make a building weapons free, they can do that but they need to secure it. If you're going to invoke disarmament, you have to ensure disarmament. And that's what the courts do. They put up a metal detector and armed security people near the, near the front entrance. If you want to do that to any building in the state because it's important for whatever reason, fine. We're, we're, the Arizona Citizens Defense League is fine with that. Just ensure disarmament if you're going to invoke it. And simply putting up a sign has the perverse effect of having the honest guy you know, the guy that's least likely, and I say guy generically, of course we know 20% of the people carry mm-hmm. guns are female, but it, it takes the honest guy and it takes him out of the picture for self-defense. Just ask yourself, if you're standing in a place and, and the ghost of Cho Sung Hui shows up or the ghost of, of, uh, of uh, James Huberty from, uh, from, the, uh, um, from um, San Ysidro in 1981 or any number of other criminals, shows up with a gun in his hand, you want to shoot him, you, you want to point your finger at him, or you want to shoot him? Yeah, exactly. Him? It's that simple. Because he's not going to take his gun off. And, you know, the honest people generally will. 
Yeah, and what we see time and time again is that when these guys that are going to come in and want to do mass uh, mass murder, when they meet resistance, it usually ends very, very quickly. Oh, yeah, that's very documentable. It, uh, the John Lott's More Guns, Less Crime absolutely documents that fact very well. Furthermore, when you look at the anecdotally at the Gina Sam, uh, when she uh, when she shot the uh, the assailant in the Arvada, Colorado uh, incident in 2007, she shot him four times with a nine millimeter. Didn't kill him, but he laying on his back. He took his AR-15 and yeah. shot himself. I mean, it, it was real simple. If you look at the places where resistance is encountered, they usually either uh, do something stupid, you know, a, a death, a mm -hmm. suicide, or they take themselves out. It's 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 almost axiomatic. Now, I do have kind of one last Arizona-centric question. And recently, our uh, governor... By the way, the, the, proper, the proper term for that is cactocentric. <laughs> so with my cactocentric uh, question here, uh, recently Governor Brewer... Not to, not, to be for, not, to be, not to be confused with tackalocentric, <laughs> which is about humor. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Governor Brewer, she, I We had, uh, and I would kind of term it basically... Uh, campus right-of-way carry, a bill that had, had passed and gone wow. up, and uh, basically she uh, she vetoed it under the premise that it wasn't uh, well enough defined. And I wanted to get sort of your take on it and also why you think she would have – she did that and what would she gain politically from, from making that decision? I think she was getting a tremendous amount of pressure from certain interest groups, and it was too soon after mm. the January 8th shooting for her to uh, ev evade that pressure. I understand, you know, politics is the art of the possible. The reason that the bill in campus carry had become what it was, it was sort of a Franken bill. We'd, amended, we'd asked the sponsors to amend it so many times to uh, accommodate various interest groups that basically what happens is the Republicans lost their spine. I mean, they got a supermajority. If, if they want to actually be right to keep and bear arms Republicans, they should support the right to keep and bear arms. Unfortunately, not enough of them did. That's why the compromises were made in the bill that eventually either led to the veto or became the excuse for it. Okay. And who do you think in uh, kind of in our current legislature, because you have a lot more contact and exposure to them than many of our listeners will, who do you think is probably some of our uh, staunchest supporters or, or allies uh, that's in there now. Oh, Russell Russell Pierce, uh, number one. Frank Antonori, number two. Uh, Vic Williams is pretty good. Uh, uh, fantastic. Terry Proud. Um, Al Melvin is a staunch supporter. There's a number. Uh, uh, Mr. Vote, Ted Vote, is a great supporter. David Gowan is a great supporter. The right to keep and bear arms. Uh, Eddie Farnsworth is a phenomenal supporter. The right to keep and bear arms. There's a lot of. You know, we're blessed. Sometimes we're derisive of people in politics. I got to tell you, Arizona has got some of the most, the finest, quality, uh, well-educated, well-spoken people in the legislature. I mean, even some of the opponents of the right to keep and bear arms can are are, are smart mm -hmm. people. You know, I mean, we have got some decent public servants. Once in a great while, even our opponents will vote with, like Kirsten Cinema. She had to move to the right to become a Democrat. She was a Green. And she had to move to the right to become a Democrat to get elected in her in her district. She even voted for the uh, um, the uh, uh, restoration of the of the uh, the burden of uh, proof legislation in 2006. 
That's one of the things that got us awarded the uh, the organization, grassroots organization of the year by the Second Amendment Foundation. Even our enemies voted with us on that because they could see that that, that guilty until proven innocent is un-American. Even some sometimes we've been able to convince even our enemies to vote our way. We got a Governor Napolitano who is not a friend of the right to keep and bear arms. We got her signed 50% of the bills that we were able to get through the legislature and put on her desk. So, I mean, we have been able to move people who generally aren't our friends to show why it's in their interest to, to support not only right to keep and bear arms, but other issues of freedom. I can tell you, Arizona's got a long, long way to go. We're fine with guns, with carrying mm-hmm. guns. God help you if you take one out of the holster and try to and, and use it to defend yourself. You've got a huge, huge, huge burden to uh, to overcome, and you see it in the Harold Fish case. You see it in the Larry Hickey case down here in Tucson, where a guy had three people beat him into unconsciousness on his front lawn. As he was losing consciousness, he drew and shot two of them, both non-fatally, not intentionally, but that's what he could hit. He was shooting low to try and keep bullets from flying through his neighborhood. Got prosecuted twice. It took Masada Ayub mm. flying here, and you know Moss doesn't defend anybody unless he thinks they're cool yeah. as a whistle and uh, uh, help in his defense. Finally, after two trials and $110,000 in legal bills, he finally, I mean, and the guy absolutely fit Castle Doctrine to a T. He defended himself on his own property, and he was still prosecuted twice by the, uh, by the Pima County uh, authorities here. I mean, we got, we got a, a, an expression down here in southern Arizona, the wall happens. Barbara Lawall is the mm. county attorney. And uh, there's, we've got to adjust Arizona laws to, to accommodate for that so that prosecutors don't run wild over people's rights to the use of force. Now, speaking of that, do have you guys seen a difference in between uh, Pima County, which is uh, where Tucson is, and then in Maricopa County where you're going to have you know Phoenix and Mesa and, and some of the bigger towns up here? Do, have you seen a, a difference, or is it about the same? Only a massive <laughs> There's no such thing. There's no such thing, except in your own home in Pima County. There's no such thing as a presumption of regularity. If you use a gun in self-defense, you stand a high percentage possibility. Unless the assailants were multiple and multiply mm-hmm. armed, you stand a high percentage possibility of getting indicted in Pima County for self-defense. So you stand a, a good chance of being prosecuted for obeying the law. Okay. I've seen it happen way too many times. But they charge people, in essence, with felony failure to dial 911. Uh, it comes out as a charge of aggravated assault and felony endangerment. It happens when people make a defensive display and then they don't call the police. The assailant calls the police, becomes the complainant, and they become the defendant. I mean, it's regular. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you another example. It's not from... Oh, yeah, sure, time. No I'll give you an example from Texas. Uh, I got a call, a JPFO call, from Texas. A lady fired a warning shot. Someone entered their property, wouldn't identify himself, wouldn't say why he was there, and advanced on her. Okay? Didn't have a gun. She got scared. She did have a gun. She fires a warning shot. The guy disconnects their power and leaves. Well, it turns out they're having a dispute with the power company, and somebody um, at the power company hired this guy to go out and shut the power off. Okay. All right. Fine. But... You know, first of all, number one, she was out in the county, so you might legally fire a warning shot. Certainly inside a city limit in Arizona, that's a felony, ARS 13-3107, and probably also 13-2904, paragraph 6, which is disturbing the peace mm-hmm. with a deadly instrument, and probably also 13-1203, felony endangerment. So, I mean, in Arizona, those, were, those would be the crimes they'd be charged with. The problem was she used her rights, but she never asserted her rights. The guy got in the truck and left, so she thought it was over. Well, guess what he did when he got in the truck and left? Yeah, he called the police, called the authorities. 
Exactly. That lady shot at me. Well, you know what? She's committed aggravated assault and felony endangerment. The reason is she didn't complain. Yeah. And the problem is people fail to assert their rights. In order to assert your rights, you've got to be the complainant. And, I mean, I understand that system, how I teach it as a CCW instructor, and it's probably one of the most valuable things. There's five things I call them the five nuggets that I put in my CCW class that people can learn that can keep them, you know, it, it, it's not part of the class. It'll just save their life or their freedom. But uh, one of the five things they could learn, and that's one of them, is you've got to be the complainant. If you're not the complainant, you're going to be the defendant. But the system is set up that way, and we've got to work on ways that that can be ameliorated. We've got to work on ways that people cannot be feloniously prosecuted for, their, uh, for self-defense. Basically, they get charged with obeying the law. It's frequent, and it's unjust, and it needs to change. Yeah, yeah I think... Uh you know, we we like I said before, a lot of people really see Arizona as kind of a, a garden spot, as far as you know, gun rights and Second Amendment things. But I, I I'm with you that we do have a long, long way to go, uh, and I I think eventually that we will get campus carry here. It's it's not like there are no states in the union oh, yeah. that have it. I mean, we have the data and everything. It's just I think it'll be a matter of time. Uh, I, I'd kind of thought probably within the next maybe two to three years we'd probably get it. I think so. I, I think your assessment's good. I think we're going to get we're going to get some form of secure buildings as well. I don't know exactly what form it'll take, but we're just going to keep pressing it. The history of this is the longest it's taken us to get something that we really thought was important in Arizona to get through is th is three uh, three sessions of the legislature, and that was the uh, mm. Katrina bill, the the bill that made it against the law for the police to seize your firearms in any kind of a national or state emergency, unless of course you're misbehaving yeah. with that firearm. So. It's the only uh, we got that through on the third try with Governor Napolitano. So, I mean, God, I hate to think what it would be like if we tried to get that through. Yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, we've been successful. We've been successful when we tried things multiple times. Do you know whose idea constitutional carry? I was? had heard. I'm, I'm, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was actually had come from Governor Brewer. Well, she wasn't governor then, but I, I thought yep. it came from her. Yep. She. Uh, John Wentling, our vice president, was walking his dog and went by uh, Governor Brewer walking her dog because they live a few houses apart. And uh, or She may have been out for a jog. I don't remember if she was exactly walking her dog. But the point of the matter is, is that she and John have a casual, you know, a, a sort of an over-the-fence relationship, over-the-backyard fence relationship. And she says, John, why are you bothering to run a petty offense? In other words, lowering carrying concealed to a petty offense instead of a Class II misdemeanor, which it used to be. She says, why don't you just go for the whole ball of wax and go for constitutional carry? The idea was actually stimulated before she was governor yeah. by her. And, you know, that kind of brings up some of the point that I talk about on my show a lot is that, you know, all politics are local. And if you can kind of have a, uh, a little bit of a say or try and control who you're getting in, even at the lower levels, because that guy that's going to be on the city council today, he may be in the governor's office, you know, five, ten years down the road. So it's important, you know, who we're yeah. electing, even to the small things that don't seem like they're that big of a deal. Well, I'll tell you, that's the case with Frank Antonori. I think he'd make a phenomenal governor. And actually, if you get down the road a little bit, I think Frank could make a wonderful candidate mm -hmm. for president. I'd love to see Governor Antonori run for president in 2020. Yeah. You know, kind of speaking speaking of, of the local guys, one thing that I think that uh, you guys do a fantastic job at, at uh, Arizona Citizens Defense League, is getting people the links 
to where they can look at our elected officials, what they've actually voted on, how they voted, and things like that. Because, you know, around campaign time, you're going to hear there are lots of different platitudes and this and that. But when you can actually go back and look and, and see what they did and didn't do, it really can help you to be informed and, and help you to, to keep somebody who's good and maybe get rid of somebody who's not so great. Right. And I want to point out, and some of those could be even duck-billed platitudes, but I want to point out that the um, that the opinions that I expressed about certain politicians are mine and mine only. I don't speak for the group because we don't comment mm-hmm. on politicians. In the, We're a 501c4. We can't do individual politicians. Now, we do have a, a political action committee, a PAC, and they can, but I'm not involved okay. with the PAC. So... I don't make comments about individual politicians on behalf of Arizona Citizens Defense League. I just want to be very okay. clear. Okay. Well, I think what we'll do is we're uh, we're going to draw our interview to a close. I want to thank you so much, Charles, for coming on the show and doing the interview. Uh, again, I think you guys do a fantastic job uh, in in getting information out and also in furthering our Second Amendment rights, which uh, basically firm uh, excuse me uh, furthers our just rights as humans. So I want to go ahead and thank you for that. Right. My pleasure. I'd like to give a oh, website, if I may, which is azcdl.org. Again, azcdl.org. Membership's only 30 bucks a year. If you want to be a hero, join for 50 and That's a uh, sustaining membership, or you can be a life member for only, uh, which is a good deal if you're going to live at least mm-hmm. another 10 years, because so, uh, that's $30 a year for 10 years. So. Are there uh, any other All websites right. you'd like to plug? As, as a matter of fact, yes, jpfo.org, if you'd like to look up Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. And we're a 501c3, and we got a lot of great literature for if you want to tell the story without having to uh, exhaust your own resources, you can give somebody a DVD and let them watch it. And all that stuff's available at jpfo.org. And then also, if you'd like to, if you're not sick of me by now, you can listen to more of uh, my program, Liberty Watch. It's archived at libertywatchradio.com forward slash listen. Okay, thank you, Charles. Well, we'll draw it to a close, and we well, hope to have you back on the show soon. Uh, you can thank call you. me anytime. And we are back to the show. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview, and I hope you'll check out both Arizona Citizens Defense League as well as JPFO, both very... Uh, worthy organizations doing a lot of good, and we wish Charles tons of success as executive director, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the changes that are going to happen over there and the growth that will happen over there. Another thing that we had mentioned in the in the interview was about the Brady campaign and that Arizona scores a zero. And I think Utah and Alaska also score a zero. Uh, about the only one, if you were if you were looking at this and their scale, and I don't know if I said it in the interview or if we if it was clear, they go up to a hundred points. And really, there's only about oh, I think two states or so that would even get what you would consider to be uh, a passing grade. And that would be, I think California has 80 points, and then I want to say New Jersey has 72. Probably the next closest would be uh, Massachusetts, which gets, I think, 65. You know, it really, it really shows that the majority of, of Americans in this country believe in the Second Amendment and believe in gun ownership. 
you can go onto the Brady website, and if you click on legislature, and then it'll say state law or state gun laws, you can click on that. And then you can go down and kind of click on what their rankings are, and a PDF will come out. And so for 2010, again, if we were grading on, uh, you know, 100%, you know, 100 to 90 is an A, and 80 to 70 is a B, and 70 to even, let's say, 60, usually it's like 65, is a D. uh, And anything below 65 would be considered a failure. And if we go on that one, none of them really gets an A. California gets 80 points out of 100. New Jersey gets 72. And uh, Massachusetts gets 65. And, uh, of course, all those have very draconian gun laws. Uh, New York gets a 62. Connecticut, uh, 58. And Hawaii is a 50. After that, every other state falls well below. You've only got, um, well, let's see, Maryland and Rhode Island. Maryland gets 45, Rhode Island gets 44, Illinois gets 35, and they'll probably go down because they're going to get concealed carry there. We'll pass there, so that's probably going to go down. Pennsylvania, 26, Michigan, 25, and then it just it plummets from there. Uh, and those are their two-star states. The three-star states, again, are Jersey, Mass., uh, New York, Connecticut, and Hawaii. But it really does illustrate the fact that even on their own website, I think that's one of the reasons why they've got this stuff kind of hidden away a little bit, or it's a little harder. You're not just going to stumble across it. Because if you really even start looking at their own figures, it's an abysmal failure uh, for what they're trying to do. Uh, if and if we look at uh, you know how, how they... Um, how they score their stuff. Uh, I think you can get one on, you can select, you know, your state, and then they have a, um, a scorecard on how they do stuff. Yeah, if you, if you go on there and you click on, on your own state, there's, you'll see a section on the side. So, they have, for instance, Arizona, score of 0 out of 100 points, and they have what does 0 stars mean. So we'll click on that. Uh, and it says California is a model of sensible gun laws, universal background checks, blah blah blah. For the fourth year in a row, they've released it. So they don't even really tell you what a zero score means, uh, which means that they're failing and we're winning. So anyway, thought you guys would get a kick out of it. Go over there, check out their site, uh, just to look at it. You can also see sometimes uh, how your state is doing, and you can look at maybe things that. Uh, that if their toting is good that you know that you may need to get with your representative and say hey we need to get this stuff overturned and uh, get some of the restrictions taken off of us all right guys that is going to do it for the show today i'll drop in a song uh all song let's see the some of the music you heard at the first was provided by kevin mcleod uh this the song here at the end is going to be provided courtesy of jamendo and that's the uh the website The song is called Squared by Law, and the band is Wasari.
the devil has given him superhuman strength. Utini! 